Hey everybody, welcome to the Always Open Podcast. I'm your co-host Lim Dozier. I'm Malik Mims. And we've got a special guest today uh, helping us run PSB Nashville, one of the most up-and-coming refs around, uh, you know, whether that's city, state, nation, whatever it is. Super excited to have you on. Easton Klein, man, how are you doing? Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm doing well. How are y'all? Man, good over here, man. Good over here. Man, let's jump right into it, man. Give us a little background on yourself, man. Where are you from? I am from Hendersonville, one of the very few that are actually born and raised from here. So, <laughs> yeah, day one. Nashville, man, literally the transplant city. You can't find much of anybody who's from this place. Uh, so, okay, how'd you get started in sports? Um, I definitely have to start with my dad, and then that would just roll on into my family. Um, my dad, all, all my uncles played college sports, mainly college basketball. So from the day I could walk, I mean, I had a basketball in my hand. It was always something with sports. I like it, man. I like it. That's super dope, man. So, you know, you, you said you talked about your, your dad and your uncles a little bit. Like, what, what was the, I mean, what was the, I guess, the conversation, like the earliest conversation you can remember uh, them talking about basketball and kind of some of your early memories from them, them playing and kind of just those memories? Like, what, what, do, you, what do you remember about that time? Um, I would say it definitely started with, I mean, almost every old head now, obviously, is the Michael Jordan fan club. So, I got obviously I won in '93, so I got to see the three last championships he had. I don't really remember them well, but I just always remember being my dad always watching them. So like as a, at a young age, it was always MJ this, MJ that. Like wanted to be like MJ. So I'm glad I got born early enough to get to witness a little bit of that. Absolutely, super cool era, man. Like like you said, I mean all of, all of my old heads, my my dad, all those guys. Of course, they had the guys in the '80s, but you know, at our generation. Uh, and, you know, arguably, I, I guess the best ever that, that talk about Jordan and growing up around that time. So that, that's super dope, too, man. Arguably. Anyways, okay, so, man, let's, let's move ahead a little bit, man. Let's talk about your high school basketball experience. Uh, I know uh, that we got to play each other, you know, going from seventh grade, well, eighth grade for me on, uh, and then all four years of high school, man. But tell me about your high school basketball experience. How would you enjoy it? Uh, and then I'll, I'll piggyback a question on the end of this. If you were to tell yourself, if you now, if you could tell yourself something then when you were a high schooler, what would be the biggest thing you would tell yourself about basketball specifically? Um, okay, well, I'll start off at the beginning where uh, I got to play for Coach Massey at Station Camp. Um, in my opinion, arguably one of the best coaches in Middle Tennessee, if not the whole state. I mean, his the way he handles the game of basketball, I mean, his life revolves around basketball. Like, anytime you call that man, that you can't talk to him about anything but basketball. Like, I know there's a lot of coaches out there like that, but his X's and O's, his practice style, I mean, everything's ran just like a college team um, to a T at all points. I mean, it's just basketball nonstop. Fundamentals, um, 
I'm just glad I got to play for a coach that was fundamentally sound. You know, I grew up playing with my dad as my coach when I was young, always. And he was the same way, just that old school mentality that take care of the ball. We play defense. You know, you're going to be in every game. Um, to go off of what I would tell myself or, or any kid, really, uh, first of all, I would take the school part of it way more serious. I slacked off all the time. I mean, as you know, Limit lost me my scholarship in college. Like, I had a scholarship to Martin Methodist, lost it because I didn't, didn't go to class. So that's why I kind of got into coaching so that I could tell these young kids, mentor these young kids, like, dude, like, basketball is great, and that can take you a long way. But if you don't take care of the schoolwork first, none of it will ever never, never happen. So, Man, that makes sense, man. I mean, Malik, I know you've got a thousand stories. You know, everybody's heard of, you know, just people who didn't take it as serious as they wanted to in the classroom. For me, I didn't have a 4.0. You know, and when I look back on the classes I was taking, the homework I had to turn in, all of those sorts of things. I'm like, why did, why did I not have a 4.0? Like, why would I not, you know, be a student? Like, what was I doing? You know, especially when, you know, at least for, I know myself and you, Easton, our last block class of the day was basketball. So we got an A automatically. So pass three classes a semester and you're good. You know, so it's one of those things, man, I'm, I'm right there with you. Take the classroom seriously, man. Malik, you got, you got any stories or thoughts behind that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's a, I guess a difficult concept to have that maturity at 16, 17, 18, uh, to really be thinking about the future. Because really, if you think about it, those grades equal money, you know, whether you're on athletic scholarship or not. You know, I was lucky enough to, to play college basketball also. And, you know, I was in a situation where, you know, my mom and dad were on my head about that. So it was like, you know, you're going to go to these extra enrichment programs and do all that kind of stuff. So when I got to college, I had a scholarship, but I was getting a refund check based on the grades that I had in high school. So, you know, I think even from there, I wasn't like y'all. So, I mean, you know, really, when you the way you talked about it, we're having four block basketball. And then in some cases, wellness is another class or something crazy like that. So you got two A's before you even talk about two other classes. And if you really, you know, lock in and take it seriously, which we get the opportunity in our organization and just through the mentorship that all three of us have with different kids to really just give them that free game. Like, hey, man, it's it's really this simple and this could equal this amount of money for you in school. Because, I mean, you get in school, you want the Jordans, you want all that extra stuff, and you can do that if you, you know, you're taking the high school part serious and you've got that extra money when you get a refund check. So, absolutely. Just, I agree with you all completely. Yeah, and you know what's crazy? I knew when I saw you with the electric belt on with your name going across. <laughs> I knew it was from the refund check when I saw that back in 2020, whenever that was. I knew it. I knew it. Listen, before we move forward, I never had an electric belt. He's using that to try to be funny. I just want to make sure we clear that up for the audience because I don't want the people who don't know me, I don't want you to get an image in your mind to think that I was running around, number one, because then I would have to have my shirt tucked in the front. <laughs> I had to show the electric belt. And that's a wild time because at those times, I was wearing like 38 pants because that was the swag that had a big pants. So to have a big shirt tucked into an electric belt is wild. So I just wanted to clear that. Okay. I, I want, okay, maybe I was thinking about somebody else. <laughs> the name going across the belt said Malik Mills. Maybe it wasn't you. That's crazy. <laughs> man, so, so let's jump back to you, Easton, man. So, did you get a chance to play AAU in high school? And if so, who did you run with? Absolutely. Um, 
really middle school through freshman year, my dad was always, we were just a summer county team. Usually it was our high school team. We add a couple kids, play local, not really at you. And then uh, my junior, sophomore, junior, senior year, I played with the Music City Ballers. So, you know, Ryan Patrick, his dad ran the organization or whatever. Um, I ran with them and it was, it was a good time. We got to travel around. Um, just AAU back then though, I mean, as y'all know, it's just can't compete with what it is today. I mean, these kids, I wish they could see what we used to play compared to what they're getting. The treatment now is just insane. Oh, that definitely is. Definitely. <laughs> Even when I think about it from a director's standpoint, when I'm signing up for tournaments and I'm putting in, you know, special requests, you know, for, hey, we don't want to play at this time and that time. Back in the day when that schedule printed, there wasn't nothing else to talk about. If you weren't there, yeah. you know, we'll that's, find a couple guys in t to give, you know, them a run, but it's still a forfeit. You know, exactly. so it's crazy even from that standpoint. Malik, did you get to play AAU ball? Yeah, man. I um I ran with the Thunder, uh, so I played with um I, I guess the the other competitive other organization at the time was you still had the Tennessee Travelers around. Uh, you had Mid State Ballers, uh, which was Big Art. He had started his program, so you kind of had those three programs in Nashville and Tennessee Thunder. Uh, was made up. I played with a couple of my high school teammates. Um, I played with like half of the Antioch team. At the times, so Mike McAdoo, Kyle Upton, uh, some of those guys, and you know, it, like you said, I mean, we had a we had a really good team, but you know, compared to like we said now, just the tournaments we get an opportunity to go to and the kids we get to see, it's just a whole different animal. It's a it's a different beast, man. I think that you know, also you think back to that time, me being just a couple years older than you guys, like at that time, you still had the reverse, and I think you all still had that too. It was the reverse of the way it is now in recruiting. They came and saw you in high school and then would follow up with wherever you played in the summer to maybe come catch you at a tournament where now it's just the complete opposite. Like they come to us first and then they follow up in the high school season. So it's just crazy to see how fast that's changed like in the last, I guess, 15 years. You know, and, and kind of piggybacking off of that from your playing days, uh, Easton and Malik, I'll ask you next. Uh, so the way the game is officiated then and I know you weren't paying much attention to that, but the way the game is officiated, you know, the physicality of it, is there a difference between then and now, even though I guess that's about 10 years uh, ago, is there a big difference or do you think it's kind of officiated the same? And like I said, I, I know you were playing at the time, but didn't pay a lot of attention to it. But, you know, just from an official standpoint now, what do you think? Um, That's a real good question. I, I feel like since I was playing that it was more physical, but um, I, I don't know. Then you go to some of these tournaments now, and I mean, as y'all figured out over the past few years, you never know what you're going to get in officiating in AAU. I mean, you could go to a tournament and literally have college officials on one court, and your next game it's a dude wearing red shoes with, like, red pants, and he just doesn't even care to be there. And it's just it's, – it's insane. It really is. It really is. That makes sense. Malik, what do you think, man? Is is there a difference between when you played it and now the way the game's officiated? I like Easton's perspective when he said, I feel like it was more physical. You know, like in our minds and you've got, you know, those war stories, people say, well, man, they the kids are not tough. I don't really know because like you said, I mean, we were playing. But I know for me, being able to use my hands a little bit more when I defended versus kind of watching some of the games now, I would struggle myself. Uh, you know, with some of those quicker guards and things of that nature because you can arm bar a little bit more than, you know, kind of force people to where you want it to uh, with kind of riding the hip a little bit more. So, you know, I definitely say, and then especially now with 
most of the time at an elite level, all five guys on the court can handle the ball a little bit. So, you know, I, I, like I said, I, I feel like it was more physical, but watching, like Easton said, some of these tournaments we go to, man, you can get hit with a club going to the basket. Uh, and it's, you know, it may not be a foul. So I, I, it's really just just hit or miss, you know, based on the tournament, the style and the referees. That makes sense, yeah. And, and I'd have to agree with you guys. It's definitely hit or miss. You know, I've coached in games, as we all have, where, I mean, you get to the first time out, and I'm like, okay, this is how we're going to play. you got to be ready to go through contact. You know, you got to be ready to be physical. You know, then there's other games where I'm, I'm telling my boys in the huddle, hey, you know, hands off, show your hands to the referee, make sure you're beating them to the spot. You know, different things where, you know, you've just got to adjust as, as a coach and a player to make sure everybody understands what's going on. And I think that's probably been – that's probably served true, at least in the AAU world, you know, over the past, you know, few years. I don't think that's something that changes, uh, you know, I guess since AAU's conception. Yeah, there's probably a little bit more handshaking allowed uh, and probably a couple more travels called. But aside from that, you know, really not much. So speaking right. about officiating, E, how did you get into officiating? Um. Really, my dad, I mean, my dad's been officiating high school and a little bit of small college for, I don't know, over 10 years, 15 years. So always being around him, going to his games, or even when I played, like, the officials, I knew the officials almost in every single day. Oh, you're Chris Klein's son, you're Chris Klein's son. Like, he knows everybody in the officiating world. So it really – at first, though, to be honest, it was just for the money, and I – hated it more than any like I told when my dad called me he was like because I didn't really have a job back then he's like you're about to do this year round you need to make some money and I'm like I'm not trying to officiate I hate referees like I don't want to do this I don't want to be one of them and then five years down the road like I've seen the opportunities it's been able to give me and I'm like wow like what was I even thinking yeah yeah and, and piggybacking off of that what was that like because you brought that up with people knowing your dad like when you were hooping and, and the officials when you were still playing and they would know you and know your dad, how was, was that, was that tougher for you? Was it easy? What would you say? Like most of the time knowing those guys? Um, I'm not going to lie. Like I know for a fact, like I can just remember multiple times where I'm getting a foul called or I hit somebody and they didn't call it. And then I would go a couple possessions later and be like, I appreciate that. Like I definitely right. found somebody or <laughs> they call, they'll give me a little wink or something. And like, but a, a funny story is there is a referee that I know I, here, I referee with him now, and I remember it vividly. He tells referees all the time the story. He's refing our game against Mountain Juliet. And as you all know, Coach Allen, he's always hands-on, full-court pressure, like, yeah. the whole game. So I'm getting I'm getting ride the whole game down the court. Halftime, we come out. The referee comes up to me. And he knew my dad. He's like, hey, I just want to let you know, like, oh, I know he's riding you down the court, but you're a good point guard, and you can handle it. You'll be all right. I was like, who tells a kid that? Like, <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> spit some, spit some, put some dirt on it. You'll be all right. One of those. But, but I like that's that's funny just talking about it now because I would have never thought about it from your perspective with guys knowing your dad and when you were playing, just kind of like what that would be like because I could see, like you said, in certain situations being like, ah, oh, nah, he'll be all right. We're gonna make him tougher. And then in, in other situations, you might have a third foul. And the fourth one might be a key one at a certain point, and they'd be like, ah, "I'm gonna let him slide a little bit." So, so that's that's cool to kind of kind of hear that, especially like with you, like saying in game, like, oh, "I know, I, I definitely found him right there," and then having that conversation later. But uh, man, like, what what levels are you at? Obviously, we know, but kind of want to talk to our audience a little bit about the levels that you officiate now, and kind of your trajectory 
uh, to get to where you are and where you're looking to go. So where are you officiating now? And then the second part of that, where are you wanting to take that as far as your, as far as you can go? I got you. So right now, um, my smallest level is obviously high school and I do that more for, I mean, it's obviously easy money to me. And then when you get in this profession, it's just like any other basketball profession you can get in. Like you just bond with people. Like you meet so many new friends. Like when I'm traveling to games, I mean, I swear it's like nonstop phone calls to referee friends. Like that's how a one or two hour trip is just gone with phone calls the entire time. Like it's a great bonding. Um, that's why I stay around the high school level. And obviously to recruit too, like Lim will know, like I call Lim three or four times a week after I leave my game. Like, hey, bro, this kid, we need this kid. We got to go see this kid. And like, I'm out there, I'm administering a free throw. Hey, what grade are you in? Hey, what AAU team you play for? You trying to run with pros? You heard the pro skills? Like yeah. it never ends. Like, the AAU recruiting never ends, even when I'm on the floor. But um, so at the college level, I'm in six conferences now. Um, I'm in the GMAC, the SAA the Southern States, the Mid-South, Tennessee JUCO, NCCAA. Um, that's Division Two and down all the way to JUCO. Um, I was supposed to be hired by the SEC this this year. And um, when COVID hit, it took the guy who was the head of officials for the SEC before the D1 conferences. He retired out of nowhere. Didn't see it coming. So a new guy gets hired. It's a whole new process to start with them. It's just like any other job. You got to work your way up. Um, trying to get to the division one level. Honestly, I mean, people ask, I mean, I've been recruited by the NBA now for about two years. Um, it's, I just, people ask like, am I crazy to not say I want to be in the NBA? And like, that would be great. But like, there's just something about the vibe and the energy in college basketball that I just absolutely love. Like when you're in those packed gyms, I mean, it's, it's fun. It's fun. I just, when you, obviously y'all watch college basketball, when you're sitting there, People watch the game. I sit there and watch the referees the entire time. Like, it's impossible for me to sit and watch a basketball game normal. Like, I'm just watching the officials and how the crowd reacts and how the coaches react and how they interact with them. And it's, it's, it's a fun process, and I'm excited for it. That's dope, man. That's dope, man. Speaking of that and kind of that atmosphere that, that you just talked about a minute ago, what, what's the best gym that you've been in so far and the best atmosphere? You can give me a couple of examples, whether it be at the high – matter of fact, let's do it that way. Give me a couple at the high school and then give me a couple at the at the college level that you've been in. It was just amazing atmospheres that you've refereed in. All right. Um, shit, we could start with last year with high school. I got to do the district championship, uh, Pearl versus East at Maplewood. It was, I think we had, the, the boys game was supposed to be like a 7.30 tip-off. They were tailgating outside in the parking lot at 4 o'clock. Mm. sold out sold out at six o'clock like it was absolutely insane like people were it was standing room only it was by far I mean and y'all saw the score I mean yeah it was just, East wasn't even supposed to be in the game comes out hot on fire makes it a game like it's that was definitely the best high school experience I've ever been and I just that's almost every metro I did the district championship in metro two years ago too and um um Pearls in it as well. Um, it's just that Metro Championship is one of the hypest environments you can be in the Middle Tennessee. There's no doubt about that. Um, I'd say any of the Sumner County or Williamson County rivalry, rivalries are always the best. Uh, student sections get involved when you've got a packed out student sections and a packed out crowd. I mean, it's just it's hard to beat that. And the 
Sumner County Energy, they they love their high school teams. So, I mean, it's it's always going to be a good gym. Sadly, COVID's kind of messed all that up. But um, the college level, I'd say uh, um, I did Trevecca's homecoming. It was like their homecoming slash 10-year anniversary or whatever for people to come back. Um, they redid a, a basketball team and put their banner up or something. It was sold. I don't know y'all been in Trevecca's gym where they got the doors yeah. on the baseline. They opened the doors. People were standing like ten rows back in the hallway out there. Like it was, it was, a, it was, it was a good time. That and um, I'd say Southwest Memphis. Yes, sir. Like you played played JUCO, so you, I know you've been out there a couple times. Uh, yeah. Man, <laughs> they're usually one of the top Tennessee JUCO teams in the state every year. I mean, they're just bringing kids in and out, D one transfers and everything. They, yeah, it, that was a good time down there. It's a different environment for sure. Yeah, yeah, and, and piggybacking off of what you just said on Southwest, I, I'm just going to touch a little bit before we move on, just to kind of set the, the atmosphere for Lim so you can feel it too. Going into the first Southwest game my freshman year, Montgomery was like, all right, this week at practice, we're not calling fouls, uh, there's no out of bounds, and whoever wins the most in practice this week is going to start. So we, we get there, and it's like as a freshman, you kind of hear it and you hear about the atmosphere and what it's going to be like. They had seven guys that off of that team that ended up going Division One, with three of them who were already Division One transfers who had come in, including uh, James Justice, left-handed kid, who's he's still playing pro now, uh, one of the best jumpers I've ever seen. He was only like 5'9", just a crazy yeah, player. Yeah, he played at Martin Methodist. Yeah, yeah, played at Martin Methodist. Played at Martin Methodist. He ended up in a bunch of duck contests. Just crazy, man. But, but that atmosphere, like, it, it's on par with the Metro atmospheres no doubt, and it's always going to be packed out. They had a legendary coach uh, who just retired a few years ago, but just a crazy atmosphere. So I can't imagine, getting back to what you were saying, I can't imagine officiating in that gym the way that they play because they're full court man-to-man, trapping all over the place. Everybody's athletic. The fans are kind of on top of you. So I know that was crazy. Absolutely, absolutely. That, that yeah. had to be a blast, man. And just kind of thinking, we talked about high school, we talked about college. One of the, the two things, and we'll start with the first one, but two things that really uh, causes a lot of controversy and people say there's a need for, one being the shot clock and two being the restricted area in the paint. As an official, what's your opinion on the shot clock? Would it make your job easier? How would it affect the game if there was a shot clock added to high school basketball? If you want my basketball input on it, I think it absolutely needs a 30, 30 second shot clock. Absolutely. Um, it would make teams change up the way they have to play. Um, but you can still run good offenses with the shot clock. And I feel like, I mean, there's those old school coaches who want to run 30, 45 to a minute off the clock with good offense and stay in games that way. And that's great. But it, I just feel like that's not teaching your kids to be able to play at the next level um, for that matter. Um, but as me and Malik have talked multiple times about this, you can't – the officials will not – there would be more trouble with the officials not knowing what to do or mess it, or tables messing it up than there would be anything that had to do with the basketball. I mean, the basketball would revolve around it. But these – I mean, it would be hard to get officials to learn how to do that. Very, very hard. So you're talking about just like the overall, hey, the ball went out of bounds at this time or the change of possession, just getting the clock right. That's what you're talking about? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's – I'm in my fourth year of college. Um, obviously, we have a shot clock in every single game, and I still mess up sometimes, or I still forget. Like, we literally – people don't understand that, like, 
every single possession change when there's a new shot clock, we have to look at the shot clock, make sure it starts, and look at whatever time it is. Because if they get mismatched, you got to be able to stop the game, do math that quick to add up to be what, what the time should be back on the clock. So, I mean, doing it with three good people in a crew is one thing. But in high school, I mean, you're lucky to get one or two veterans. If you get two veterans in a group, like you're, oh, my God, this can be a fun night. You know, like it's, it's hard. It's, it's very, very hard to get used to that. I mean, I, I don't see it coming to Tennessee in the next five years. I just don't see it. That makes sense, man. So this is one – I'm going to let Malik ask the question because Malik is the most adamant about it. Every time he sees any sort of floater in the lane that ends up in the charge or the guy under the basket, Malik is standing up getting people to sign a petition about this. So I'll let you uh, ask the question, Malik. Yeah, I, I, man, just what are your thoughts on the restricted area in high school? And this is my basis behind it. How, how can you justify calling a charge when a man has his head under the net? Like, where, where does the offensive player land in a good move, even if it's off of two feet? I'm not even talking about, like, floating into somebody, but if I'm off of two feet and there's contact and my head is under the net and I fall back, how do you justify that charge call and, and say we do not need a restricted area? Okay, so I'm going to get technical with you real quick. Okay. If the way playing it where if the offense has started to take off. Right not in legal guarding position, which is two feet on the ground facing the facing the offense, mm -hmm. then that's a block. Once you're started your motion at all to go up, you have to be set before he goes over. I'm sorry, not the word set, because technically you don't have to be set, but right. two feet on the ground facing. I, I don't even think there should be an RA in college. I really don't. I think really? if your help side can get to help side quick enough and be set before he leaves the ground, I think it should be a charge. He just bothers me so much to watch Before he leaves the ground, that's that's the tough part is <sighs> athletes are so good now, in my opinion. Like, if, if you're set before he leaves the ground, I mean, we watched Scott Clark yesterday, even just in a warm-up drill. Uh, coming up, they have a drill that's coming from the wing, attacking, and a coach slides in late. He just made an easy Euro, finished on the left-hand side. You know, and it's like for those athletes that are that good, I feel like – I feel like you should be able to get there in the middle of their motion. I don't know, but it's tough for me. I just I, – I can't stand I'm, – I'm with Malik on that one. You know, especially somebody goes up, dunks the ball, and they've been standing there for 10 minutes, but they're under the net. If they're dunking the ball, they have to land somewhere. I, I just I, – I don't know, man. I, I think that that's – I think it, it could also be a foul because you talk about, as a ref, giving the offense room to land. Right? How does that compare with that situation that you just talked about? Let's just be honest real quick. I'm one of the officials. If you dunk on somebody, it's a block every time. Right? <laughs> Hard block. Hey, the monster the call. You feel it? <laughs> I've seen so many highlight videos of those refs where, like, this dude just on top of somebody's head, and I see a charge. I'm like, bro, the game's not about you. This ain't about you. <laughs> like... No, uh-uh, uh-uh. It's, it's got to be a block all day long. But, I mean, I get what y'all are saying. Head underneath the rim, it's a tough, like, like you said, I mean, people can just go up and dunk, and then real, realistically you're taking his landing space almost. But the how long, how big the RA is in college and NBA is just – I think it's way too big, way too big. Huh. That makes sense. That makes sense, man. So I, I've got another question for you. 
So as a referee, um, you're, you're, let's say it's, it's a big moment, it's a big game, and I've seen this happen a lot more. I'll just give you the exact scenario. Watching the game the other day, it's a hype moment that, you know, team's been talking back and forth. No warnings have been given or anything like that. Guy comes down, hits a three, talks to the student section, sends mm-hmm. an arrow at him. Whack. Gets hit with it. In my opinion, I don't like people showboating. I get it. Uh, but if that's the flow of the game and that's kind of how things have been going, you bring everybody in, you talk about it, and then, you know, you address it from that point. But so I guess my question for you is, how quick when it comes to taunting or any sort of showboating uh, is your whistle personally? And do you think that there are, uh, is there too quick of a whistle around without giving warnings or talking to somebody? Um, I would say technical wise at all. I never give technicals. Like I, it's got to take a lot, a lot for me to do something like something very flagrant or just something way over the top. I'm, I'm just for like as and my officiating, I am a communicator. Um, at the college level, they've taught us. I mean, coaches run college basketball, whereas in NBA, the, the players run it, obviously. So if you can't communicate with these coaches, like your career's gonna be over so fast. Like you have to be able to talk, whether it's a 10 second conversation or you're running right by them. Like, I mean, it's you gotta be able to communicate with them, sometimes bring them off a cliff, sometimes lift them up, like in, in all different ways. But I've just the taunting thing, I mean, I'm young for one. And for two, like, we all did the same thing. Like, I can't be a pot calling the kettle black. Like, I can't do that. Like, I know if I'd have played, like, I don't know. I did. Like, when we played HHS, like, me and Lil almost got in a fight after the game. Like, <laughs> it was like, we are always talking trash. And me and Lim have been best friends since, like, sixth or seventh grade. Like, it just didn't matter. When we step on the court, there's a packed crowd, like, it's just it's energy I mean you're gonna it's emotions like you can't take don't take that away from the kid in the game like let the kids play you're here for the kids I, I gotta remind myself that a lot especially in girls games <laughs> you're here for the kids you know like let them do their thing if something's over the top I'm gonna go talk to them I'm gonna pull them say hey number five come here hey look it's a great shot slow your emotions down just a little bit all right don't taunt nobody just talk to them try to communicate with them or go to the coach first but those officials that want to just start whacking, I feel like they're trying to make their self be a part of the game. It's just – that's too much. I get it. I get it, man. So, so let's talk about something uh, something pretty simple. So I was just – Oh, my God. I I heard somebody come in. I, so I was thinking about uh, – and I've got for, – for my listeners who are listening uh, without the video, I've got my Carmelo Anthony High School Oak Hill jersey on, just representing big male – uh, comeback of the year last year, uh, probably man of the year, if you ask me, uh, through everything they went through adversity-wise. But uh, I want to ask you, Easton, as it stands today, uh, you know, when it comes to you got to factor in Olympics, being the greatest Olympic athlete of all time, having four gold medals, things like that, not really chasing a ring, jumping on super teams. When you look at the career that Carmelo Anthony has had, Obviously, first ballot Hall of Fame. Where do you put him in the top 100 NBA athletes? If you had to put a number on the dot, where do you put him of all time in the top 100? Oh, my. You're going to put me on the spot like that, Lim? I have to. Uh, 
Let's can I just give him top seventy-five? Woo! Woo! <laughs> I mean, is that is that disrespectful, Malik? I, I feel like that's extremely fair. I mean, because if we if we if we if we did if we did no seriously, in all seriousness, I know I make a lot of jokes. Man. If if we did if we did if we didn't drill that down to top small power forwards, I don't know that he's in the top ten. So I mean, he would have to be top seventy-five players if he's not in the top ten small forwards. He's not in the top ten small forwards, fellas. I mean, you might be able to find a place in there for him. I mean, offline, I'll make a list this week. But I mean, I don't know if he's in the top ten. I don't think it's. I don't think it's definitive. I would have to go through and look. We're Man, talking about I mean, the biggest Olympic athlete of NBA history, sports. That has, that has nothing to do with the NBA all-time list. The, the, yeah, the, exactly. the Olympics that. All, all this. Come on, them. You know, it's all good. You know, I, I just wanted to kind of see where your head was, Easton. <laughs> and with that, I, I definitely get it. Uh, I'm going to allow Malik to go ahead and take over some questions right now. Uh, if you've got any, Malik, you know, <laughs> ignorance is taking over this podcast. So, Malik, you don't have anything you got. Man. You set yourself up failure, Lynn. You know, you set yourself up for failure. You do this to yourself. Malik, yeah. how you go ahead, man, because this is – all right, man. Well, well, E, really, I, I just have two to close it out. Um, let's start with we'll, – we'll end with the big finale. I'll, I'll save that one. Who are some right. guys that you that you watch and, and you look at officiating and you're like, hey, that's kind of that's kind of where I would like to be. Uh, you like their career. You like the things that they've done. It can be at any level, high school, college, or pro. But uh, some, some of those guys that you kind of watch and, and model your game after. Um. I'll start with, I mean, really, it's all my mentors. Like, in this profession, you got to have mentors. Um, one of my top ones is Ray Acosta. He's in the NBA. He's just finished his fourth season in the NBA. Um, he's just, I mean, these guys are just some people you can just call. They can help you in situations. I mean, anything you ever need, they drop everything for you, no matter how big they've made it. I mean, like, he's, he makes two, three hundred thousand a year, gets, flown everywhere they pay for his hotels the NBA just treats you like an all-world deal and he still will look out for me anytime uh, at, the, at the college level um, I have two mentors named uh, Jason Baker um, Will Howard Down um, and a couple other uh, Coy Gammon um, Todd Austin these guys are all division one guys I mean they're working three to five D D1 games a week I mean, so people laugh when they ask if I really, when I tell them I'm going to do this full time one day, and they're like, "Referee!" And then I start telling them what type of money these guys make, and it's guys, it's it's literally insane. It's 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 crazy the money that can be made in this profession when you take it serious, get to the top. That's dope, man. That's dope, and I agree with you. And I think that goes for you know the name of our podcast is always open, and I think that's that's a great way to tie in. Um, we always tie this in at the end, but like what you said, just having a mentor. Um, and I think that's in any walk of life uh, that you that you have. We all have mentees now, um, you know, at the age that we are and, and helping kids out. And like you said, you have those mentors that you can reach out and talk to. And I think that being able to have someone in your life who's already been through an experience that you want to achieve is huge because obviously we all have the ambition, we have the goals, uh, we want to grow. We're doing things to do that. But to have someone who's been there, done it, seen it, and can really give you the true keys that it takes to get there is it, something that's important. So, you know, for all of, our, all of our listeners who are listening to this, whatever you do, like make sure that you have those people that you can reach out to, 
have those conversations with in whatever professional walk of life that you're in because that's that's so important. Um, my last question for you, man, and I we we sent it in the the chat, and uh, he's got the jersey on. He's gonna be uh, he's gonna be real upset, man. But um, we got cut, bench, play. Um, so you can the three that you had to choose from are Bird, KD, Carmelo. So who are you keeping? Who's on the floor? Who's on the bench? Who are you cutting? And why? Lim, you ready? You got your tissues ready? I'm listening. I'm ready for ignorance. <laughs> you, I got to cut Melo. I mean, if we're, being, if we're being honest, it's just, it's really not even a debate. Like, this, the question was set up for failure for Lim in the first place. I mean, Carmelo is just not even in the same stratosphere of these two other players. All right, guys. So, um, you know, we're going to move on to the last question of positivity. I'm not going to allow that to go ahead and fester to let our listeners be tainted by obscure views about basketball. I mean, obviously, you know, I get it. I get it. You've been out the game for a while, Malik and Easton. I get it, man. So let me ask you this. This, this will be my final question to end on kind of a, a positive, you know, Tennessee-centric note. So choose a few guys who you've, who you've gotten to see or ref who are currently still playing high school basketball that you were really impressed with. Well, I like that. I like that. Um, that's yeah, that's good. Uh, um, let's see. I mean, I gotta say, I mean, Jalen Jones is probably at the top of the list right now. I, like I said, I did that district championship game and he was just a freshman last year and the show that he put on in a varsity packed out crowd with all these things on the line, like that kid and came to one of my practices last year, trying to get him on with pro skills. Like he's, a humble kid, great kid, nice kid, um, off the floor. Um, he, he's a stud. Uh, let's go with, um, oh, of course, our, one of our own, J.J. Wheat. I had his game. This man is just a complete stud. I mean, finishes at the rim, great in transition. And my favorite part about the kid is he has no problem playing defense the entire game, diving on a loose ball, take a charge. Like, you don't see that from some of the stud kids nowadays but this man is a complete all-around basketball player um we got um Kane Ridge uh, was it Brandon Miller yeah and that name yeah Brandon that kid that he has the chance to be the real deal I mean I know he's already highly highly rated um but I've had him in multiple games and he's he's the real deal he's a stud um haven't got to see Sky Clark yet saw some highlights I mean heard he's incredible um who else have I had this year? Have I called you about anybody else, Lim? Um, can't really. I mean, uh, not, not not yet. I know we're early in the year in COVID. Yeah, and, and my list is very similar to yours, man. You know, and yesterday uh, we got the chance to watch Christian Brothers play against Innsworth, Uh and that was probably the best matchup I've seen player for player this year. Uh, seeing Chandler Jackson from Christian Brothers against Sky Clark. Uh, two different styles of basketball. Scott Clark is uh, not necessarily finesse, but he's taking, you know, more jumpers uh, than Chandler does. You know, he, they're, they're both, you know, Scott's maybe, well, I think he is a better athlete as far as getting off the ground. But Chandler is just a, a pit bull, man. He was coming down consistently, you know, shrugging people off, giving somebody a shoulder bump, finishing through contact. You know, those two were probably my favorite players that I've seen this year in high school basketball. And I also have to mention, 
Uh, there's a big man out of Ross View uh, named Ronald Jessamine. He's He has been playing ball. I got to see him this year. Uh, just a sophomore. I mean, so many things that I saw him do that I was impressed with. I mean, he had close to double-digit blocks. He finished at the rim. Uh, you know, he, he did a lot of really good things. Uh, Malik, who have you seen this year? Um, I like the big fella at Ravenwood. Uh, Noah, uh, I'm blanking on his last name. Tell me, what's his last name? Clifford, the big red dog. Yeah, yeah hey, and he is a dog. <laughs> <laughs> and a big dog. <laughs> about six, 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 almost six, seven. Uh, weighs about 270. Uh, just moved here from California. Um, and when I tell you he can do everything, he can do everything. Like, we got to see him a small sample size at Beach. Uh, he was in foul trouble, but, I mean, he got a rebound off the rim, took it up, went into a hot feet motion, double move, and his coach called a timeout because he thought he was in trouble. I guess he just didn't know him well enough, but had gotten by and was about to finish on a layup, uh, hit a transition three, uh, caught it in the post on a drop step. Again, they called a foul, but he completed the dunk <laughs> on a drop step. And uh, just, just a surprising kid. Like, when he came off the bench, it was funny. Like, I, I will always be transparent. Like, we were talking in this stance amongst each other, and we're kind of like, I don't know about this guy. Like, Andrew's probably got one. Uh, you know, talking about Andrew Page, who plays with is just athletic on look. And it was it, – it wasn't that. Like, he can go. You, you'll, if, you, if, you can't get, if you get Ravenwood, um, you'll see. And it's funny. I then just saw a video of the kid at DA. Have you had him yet? Have you seen him? Have y'all seen a video? You know what I'm talking about? It's like – Yeah, Davidson Academy. He's like a bigger kid who uh, is a baseball signee with Freed. I'll send you the video. He's like, he made it to the big guard thing and everything. Like, he was out cooking. And he's probably like 6'3", 230, but it's not, like, solid. And, and he's out there doing crazy stuff. But, uh, but yeah, he's, he's another kid. That I, and I just saw him last night. It was on Ryan Gibbons' page. Uh, don't know his name, but he, he was another kid who can, who can play, man. So, it's um, overall Nashville surrounding areas. I think it's the best it's ever been. Uh, just from a top-to-bottom perspective. Obviously, we've had better players, you know what I mean, at a higher level, I guess, that you can say. But I mean, from, like, an overall perspective, it's just – it's in great hands right now. It is. It is. And, and I would also – you were missing – I haven't got to play this week yet, but JP uh, out of Hillsboro. JP. Oh, yeah. Absolute monster. Excited that Metro gets to play here soon. That's going to add a lot of buzz to the city. I think there's going to be a lot of upsets uh, coming up. But – Anyway, so, so, you know, glad to have you on, Easton. Thank you for joining us. Uh, you know, really, really appreciative of you hopping on. And, again, you know, Easton has shown that you can affect the game in many ways besides just playing once your playing career is over. You can go into the refing field. You can go into the travel basketball field. You can become a high school coach, middle school coach, collegiate coach, all the way up to NBA uh, if you really just want to affect the game and continue to be around it and be a mentor. Uh, that was the biggest thing that Easton spoke about that I think really stuck out is the fact that his mentors, no matter what, were dropping things for him, continuing to be there. Uh, and I challenge you guys to be those people. Uh, and if you are young in high school, in college, seek out those type of people as well because their value in your life is tremendous. Malik, you have anything? No, I mean, I think we covered it all. Like, I, again, I just want to thank you again, E, for being all uh, great insight. Uh, like Lem just hit on, so I won't, you know, I won't be uh, belabored a moment, but just, just really appreciate you having on, being on, man. Absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me. I've listened to every one of them. Um, y'all are doing great. I love what y'all are doing for the community. 
um, obviously with, with pro skills, I mean, we're, we've really taken this thing over. I mean, I mean, like I said, me and Lim talked probably three or four days a week about this. It's like, it really feels like we went from nothing to something like it's, it's really crazy. Uh, again, thank y'all for letting me come on. Um, continue to do them. I love listening to them. I know other people do. Uh, if you're a basketball junkie or even sports at all, um, y'all cover it all. Y'all are doing a great job. Just keep it up. I appreciate it. Again, always open podcast. Lim Dozier, Malik Mims, and our special guest, Easton Klein. Follow us on all social media platforms. We look forward to seeing you guys soon. Peace. Look at me score like um, off of the fingertip. I'm at the tongue, ain't talk. When I shoot no clip, always open, yeah. Gotta tune in, yeah. Always open, yeah. Gotta tune in, yeah. yeah.